umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and as michigan prepares to start spring practice we have a few topics to clear the decks first up well, Clint, what do you think about the announcement of Jim Harbaugh's contract extension and the details we've learned about it? Well, I, I don't think that the contract kind of lived up to the hype. Uh, it, it was not; um, it, it wasn't much new. There wasn't a whole lot of new information there. Kind of, I would call the, the terms were kind of restored to the pre twenty twenty conditions. Uh, you know, in terms of base salary and the structure, and then he kept uh, some of the same incentives in terms of winning the Big Ten East, winning the Big Ten outright, uh, you know, college football playoff, coach of the year, all those incentives really stayed the same. So I'd put him back in line with uh, the top tier of Big Ten football coaches. Uh, it notably did not, you know, jump up into the into the dollar amounts that we saw with James Franklin and Mel Tucker. Uh, you know, pushing towards 90 and $100 million over 10 years. So um, it's another five-year contract, and uh, there's still some people that are a little bit uneasy because it doesn't really put to bed uh, a lot of the conversation about whether Harbaugh is going to be here for the, the duration of his career. So I think it's fine. Um, it, it put, you know, gave some answers to some questions, but as uh, as is kind of the norm, for this kind of stuff in the Harbaugh era, you know, there's still some, still some lingering questions that uh, we, we'll find out down the road how uh, how he chooses to make decisions in the years to come. I would describe it as a reboot of the contract that he had prior to the COVID shortened season, right? Like yeah. there was a lot of attention and a lot of hoopla about the pay cut that he took. And I kind of saw this kind of as a, as if I had to describe this contract, it's the restoration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised because there was a lot of um, sizzle in the air, right? There was a lot of things swirling about what he wanted and what he hoped. And of course, um, you know, Jim famously says that he's his own agent, but there were definitely, I think, Things that I expected, and you, know, you mentioned the contract of James Franklin and the contract that happened down at Michigan State with Mel Tucker. I think the biggest thing that surprised me in the contract was the length. I really expected something, you know, I, I call it kind of the franchise player tag, right? Some kind of a, hey, Jim, we love you. We want you to be here forever. You've said you want to be here forever. You've said you'd do this job for free. Of course, you're not going to do it for free. But let's have some kind of um, waterfall clause where this is going to automatically renew and you're always going to be in the X top percentage of coaches. I expected something creative like that. And I think that would have made me feel better that we weren't going to be doing this every year. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like, we're going to be doing this every year. And, and again, that's that's the game. This is not a criticism of Coach Harbaugh. This is not a criticism of the University of Michigan's athletic department or ward manual. It's just how it is. Is 
I didn't see anything in this contract that would, quote-unquote, scare away an NFL team from, oh, wow, Jim's really committed, right? Um, or I don't see anything that um, – I don't see a lot of love from U of M in this. I know a lot of people are going to look at the dollar amount and say, well, there's a lot of love there. But I'm not sure this is what uh, what I would have expected to see. Well, I, I, I heard that same kind of sentiment that um, – that maybe the, the the university maybe lowballed Harbaugh again here, and maybe there's still some lingering animosity or, or you know reading some emotion or motive into the whole thing, and I I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I would say um, when you look at the buyout section of the contract, the fact that if Harbaugh wants to leave, if an NFL opportunity comes up and Harbaugh wants to make that decision in the future. Um, which is still, you know, a greater than zero percent chance, right? He's said that he's not going to make this an annual thing. This is not, uh, but he never said that he'll never talk about it again, either, right? So it's it's just not put to bed. So let's say that in two or three seasons, there's an NFL opportunity very similar to the uh, the saga with the Vikings this year. That the buyout is low enough that Harbaugh could make that jump really easily the, the buyout in the contract was not used as a, as a blockade or, or a hurdle to stop Harbaugh from going to the NFL. And, and I think that as a concept is, is really Michigan uh, showing respect to what Harbaugh wants and what his career aspirations are to where they have allowed him to leave the NFL uh, open as an option going forward they could have easily made it he could have been made uh untenable to any nfl uh opportunity by by putting a huge buyout clause into that contract to where if an nfl team wanted them they'd have to pay the university you know eight figures something like 20 million dollars and then the university would take that money and probably put it right into paying somebody else's buyout to bring the next replacement coach in, right? So um, the fact that that's not there, I think, shows a lot of deference from the university to Harbaugh and clearly is something that he still cares about. And vice versa, if um, if Michigan were to move on from Harbaugh, if the 22 season is a reversion back to the COVID year of 2020, not something that I expect, um, of course, but – Again, greater than zero probability. It could happen to where there's an absolute awful season and Michigan needs to move on from Harbaugh, then they would owe him personally in that eight-figure range somewhere around 20 or $22 million uh, if this upcoming season they were to move on to, to fire him. So the fact that the contract is structured, not necessarily in the base salary part or the incentives, but the buyout clause is very, very Harbaugh tilted. And I think that's where uh, Ward Manuel and the university have, have paid their respect to, to, to Harbaugh to where really he's here as long as he wants to be here. And he said outwardly he'll be here as long as the university will have him. So for, for all intents and purposes from what we see, it, it's a happy relationship right now. And he's going to be the coach uh, probably through the rest of the terms of this contract. 
and that's that's what I would expect. But there are scenarios that could pop up very similar to this last coaching hiring cycle where we're, we're right back and, and asking those same questions and all of those could be all of that could still be a possibility but it's not necessarily imminent i would say well and i agree with i'm a big proponent of you know the carrot rather than the stick right and again and and this is you know in reference to the idea that you're going to you know have a big buyout clause right because again if you don't want to be here don't be here okay um the thing that i'm i would have liked to have seen right is you know almost almost say hey listen jim you know and and of course it, it would be it would be written lawyerly right hey jim listen just let us know by January 1st of every year if you're going to be here, okay? And I would have loved to have seen something like that because um, the idea of him going to Minnesota on signing day, it, it wasn't a good look, right? Um, now, again, the nature of these opportunities, they come up when they come up. You know, if I was commissioner of the world, that's what I would have put in a contract, you know, hey, we love you. Um, you know, we want you to stay here. Here's a quote unquote, you know, I don't, you know, a lifetime deal. And every X number of years, we're, you know, we're just going to look at, you know, the average salaries and do something. But can you let us know by January 1st, right? Um, or even, you know, that's what I would like, you know. Um, and again, I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen. You know, there's this um, a lack of synchronicity between what you'd really want on the college side and the opportunities that pop up on the NFL side. So, you know, and that's due to the playoffs and all kinds of things. I mean, the NFL playoffs. So I would have liked to have seen something like that. I'm not sure that we've, um, you know, as you mentioned, I think, listen, anybody can say this. You know, there is, there's always the dream job, the opportunity, the most perfect opportunity. I don't think it necessarily has to do with money. It has to do with situation. Um, so again, you can never say never. And, you know, it's interesting from a fan standpoint, as much heartburn as there was this year when Harbaugh was toying with leaving, there were a, a, a huge percentage of fans who wanted him to go last year, right? It it, it runs hot and cold depending how things go. I don't expect Michigan to fall back to what happened during the COVID season. But again, um, so Clint, is there anything that you would have liked to have seen? Is there anything that you've seen in other contracts that you think would have been realistic? Or do you think this is kind of the state of the art and the state of the situation? No. And I think, I think you and I talked about it uh, in a previous episode and you mentioned it earlier today that I would have liked to see some creativity in terms of uh, setting a standard for success in a given year and, and, and having some automatic triggers uh, that extend the contract terms um, so that you're avoiding, you're using the contract and the language of the contract to avoid getting into those renegotiating years. I think the entering the contract negotiations right as the pandemic hit was a little bit of a perfect storm in terms of the chaos that it brought into 
um, that the relationship between Harbaugh and the university, and then and then that led also to a, you know a really poor season in 2020. So I, to avoid that, I wish the contract were used um, to keep it automatically extending if he were it, similar to those incentives. If he wins the Big Ten East, wins a Big Ten title, then then we would you know automatically increase this term. Um, for, for some predetermined amount. So it, it certainly would be possible. I think the example that I've used in the past is Tom Allen's contract at Indiana. Uh, he's got a, a, a an automatic extension clause in his contract. And you also mentioned kind of a, a market value reevaluation um, clause. That, that's something that I, that I saw in Nick Saban's contract at Alabama. That basically, as the average salaries of the SEC coaches around him go up, Alabama is going to give Nick Saban a raise automatically to to be right there at the top because they believe that he's the best coach in the SEC. And if everybody else is getting raises, then he's going to get a raise. So that's written right into his contract. It's hard to argue with that. anything else being true. I think he is the best coach in the SEC and probably nationally and, and maybe even in the history of the game. So I'm not saying Harbaugh deserves that type of deference or that type of specific clause. Uh, those in terms of uh, options and creativity to kind of keep Michigan out of the annual saga of contract renegotiation. It seems like may have missed an opportunity in this particular round, but you know, it, it maybe it's something that, that comes up further down the road because like I said I don't think this is the last time we're going to be having this conversation so we'll we'll revisit it later and maybe we figure something else out uh, in a future cycle what I hope is that Harbaugh has such success that this contract is a draft for the next contract right that uh, like you said I don't think that this contract is going to stay steady for the next five years. Something will happen, either good or bad. And, you know, there's so many things in flux right now that, you know, one of the things I, I said to myself when I was looking at this contract is, okay, we can put this away till next year, right? Or uh, or maybe two years. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is going to play into it is um, – you know, how does NIL work out, right? And people will say, well, what does that have to do with the coaches? I think it has a lot to do with what Harbaugh is worried about, right? I mean, we have seen other colleges be very aggressive in the NIL space. And Michigan has just announced the Victor's Exchange. Um, basically, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it a portal where student-athletes can match-make opportunities, and this portal helps um, with all the reporting and the legalities of it. But it's a great start, but right now, being at the state level, you know, it's a hodgepodge of what some universities can do and what other universities can do. And frankly, there's some universities that are, um, I would say, not only pushing the edge, but going right over the line. So... I think we're going to see some uh, some changes in that space. But the point being is that Michigan is going to have to find a way, legally, ethically, all those things, uh, 
to really make a big splash in NIL. And I think that that's going to um, impact, you know, a coach like Jim Harbaugh, right? Like when you're talking about competitiveness, are you going to be able to compete with the top 10 or top 20 programs that are finding opportunities for their student athletes? I think it's a valid question. Um, Certainly. I, I still believe that NIL as a concept uh, in terms of players, college athletes being able to be compensated for using their name, image, and likeness is a net uh, positive thing, first of all, for all the college athletes, not just football players and basketball players and high revenue, but especially the, the, the other what are called the Olympic sports or the non-revenue sports. Um, restricting them from those opportunities never made a lot of sense. So I think it's the right thing to do to allow it. The fact that there's this looming cloud of corruption and how it's going to affect recruiting is more of an indictment of the NCAA and the college football atmosphere at large and not necessarily this particular concept, right? Clint, this Clint, is just, Clint, yeah. Let me jump in. I totally think it's a positive. I don't want to give the impression that I don't. So right, you and I right, are right. totally on the same page it, there. I, absolutely. And the, these are, we, we've had that, that, that detailed discussion before, certainly. So this is a positive thing. And, and my last you know, kind of preamble here is that I think that it's going to be a net advantage for Michigan in terms of their football program because they this will take financial considerations and and kind of blunt the the competitive advantage that some universities had previously where a player could make money under the table and, and outside of the rules where now Michigan has a path to that same player may also be able to make uh, make additional money um, and and play for Michigan. So I think that it's going by bringing all of this activity above board and out in the open. I think it's a net benefit for the the programs that have been trying to recruit um, more within the rules than than some of the other programs nationally. So all of that being said, it is one more thing to try to manage for a, a college football head coach especially somebody like Harbaugh, whose main competition for his services is the NFL. Well, of course, free agency is, you know, and, and personnel is handled in, in conjunction with the GM. It doesn't necessarily fall on the, the head coach, and it's not a 365-day-a-year job in the NFL. So the the task is, is a little bit heavier. You know, that lift is a little bit heavier. But I, I still think that it will end up being – better for the program overall in terms of what type of talent and how strong the recruiting classes coming in will be for, for Michigan. And I think we saw that in 2022, this last recruiting class, recruiting class that signed um, was very strong top 10, depending on where you look at the rankings, you know, somewhere right around eight, nine, 10 or 11, somewhere right around the top 10 even though right now NIL is still very much the Wild West with, with very limited uh, regulation and nobody really knows what's allowed and what's not. We're going to kind of 
it's chaos right now and we'll sort it all out later. So the fact that Michigan's kind of taking a measured approach um, and trying to really work within the, the state law in Michigan and, and, and kind of walking before they run and is still able to have success and bringing in talent uh, at a top 10 level, I think is fine. If we start to see that slide down, you know, staying below the top 10, slipping toward 15 or 20 nationally year over year, then that would be a major cause for concern. Absolutely. And I think, again, just to reiterate, I think it's NIL is a great thing. Um, one of the things that I, I, one of the advantages that I think Michigan has, and I think one of the assets that this program will have is that you have a head coach who was a successful athlete at the University of Michigan, had a pro career, obviously is a, is a coach now. But what's going to be interesting to me is the insight that he can bring to players personally as they navigate NIL, okay? And we've talked about this before. Um, again, with the kind of dollars that, are, that we're hearing about, the kind of things that's being thrown around, um, this is life-changing money right? If invested right, if, if taken care of. And I think, I really hope that this is one of the things that um, in addition to Michigan having this portal where athletes can have these kind of, you know, create these relationships, I hope there's going to be some kind of add-on service of financial advisement, okay? Hey, listen, here's how you do this, okay? Here's a path forward. Here's a way you can do this because, Long term, okay, one of the advantages that Michigan has had, okay, and, you know, you've heard this, Clint, you know, they would, uh, you know, they would talk to coaches and say, how successful was this team? And, and the coach would say, well, what we'll really know is in five or 10 or 15 years, what kind of business leaders will they be? What kind of parents will they be? What kind of husbands will they be? Right. And, I want Michigan to take that kind of long-term view, to view student-athletes as a long-term asset, not as a resource to be consumed and thrown away, right? And I think that NIL is a huge lever toward giving advantages to the student-athletes who won't necessarily make, who won't be Tom Brady, who won't be Charles Woodson, because guess what? 99.9% .9 of them won't, Okay. And NIL is a way to reset the balance to where they can generate some revenue and hopefully make some good decisions to be a positive, uh, you know, make some positive uh, changes in their life, you know, starting now moving forward. So, again, I, I think, as you said, NIL is, is the Wild West. Um, I roll my eyes. I, I don't think we're going to get anything from the NCAA to help rein it in. I don't know how it's going to be reined in, but uh, the track record of uh, the NCAA is not great. Um, I, I don't know what they could do at this point. Um, you know, they so again, something's going to come. You know, it may be uh, congressionally based or or legislate. You know, come from the legislature. Something's going to happen to kind of balance the, um, the 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 playing field, right? As far as NIL goes, but. Again, uh, I think as this um, opportunity 
um, progresses and, and firms up, it's going to be a great thing for athletes. Uh, you know, totally. You know, and you mentioned Olympic athletes. You know, it, it's there are crazy stories out there of, you know, actual Olympic athletes not being able to take endorsements due to, from their Olympic participation, right, and not being able to participate collegiately. And and this is the again, there's a lot of crap that needs to be swept away, and NIL goes a long way toward beginning balancing those scales. Right. Absolutely. And I think as of right now, the, the chaos is, is going to be, this is not going to get sorted out in a year or two, right? Right now are just such major paradigm shifts at all different levels of the NCAA as a governing body. And then with NIL specifically, there is no federal standard. So it, it's a, it's 50 different laws in 50 different states where these institutions, everybody's playing by different rules and the NCAA just basically stepped out of the way and said that it can't be paid for play um, without really defining what that means. So there's a lot of legal wrangling and uh, hemming and hawing and hand wringing to be done before we have um, kind of a standardized process in this. Um, so the, the folks that are going to push the envelope of what is allowed, uh, I did see a headline where they're going to start being some investigations as to whether, uh, some institutions have already started kind of crossing the line, the, the very blurry line that the NCAA already set, uh, in terms of not making it pay for play directly. Um, those investigations will start. Uh, we'll see if uh, the federal government gets involved to create a, a national standard instead of 50 states playing by 50 different rules. Uh, we've seen some state legislatures hurry to uh, repeal their own NIL laws because they feel like they're hamstringing their state universities uh, and their football programs. So it, it's there's more change than there is stability right now. Trying to predict which way it goes um, right now is, is like trying to catch the wind. So it, it, we'll see. And we know a little bit more this year than we did last year, but, um, the, the amount of change between right now and probably 12 months from now will still be, uh, so huge that, that we'll probably be having a, a, a totally different conversation, uh, next off season. Absolutely. Again, this is going to be an ever-evolving entity and opportunities. Um, you know, and and you know, I don't want to make it like Michigan is not addressing these long-term issues. You know, one of the things that uh, the Victor's Portal or Victor's Exchange helps or says it's going to help with students is investing in resource management, business formation, all these different things, branding strategies. There's a lot here. And what I'm excited about is when you look at a university with the uh, credentials of, of Michigan, right, you have so many resources that can be brought to bear in this that I think in the long run, Michigan should be should own this. OK, I mean, they should be one of the top five 
if not one of the best, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. And uh, again, I, I know a lot of people are, are um, concerned that some universities have jumped the line and you, you can look at what's happened in recruiting this last cycle. And I think this is a short-term aberration that, that will be brought in line. Um, so, Clint, another topic that does play into this because of how much money uh, reportedly uh, has been left on the table. Uh, it was announced that the college football playoffs will be staying at four uh, until the end of the 2025 contract. And according to ESPN, the uh, uh, the NCAA is going to miss out on potentially $450 million of revenue through that decision. So, um, so I know, uh, you recently was participated in another podcast where you, um, stated your case for, um, acknowledging that it may be a good idea to, uh, to expand the playoffs. What do you feel about this decision by the NCAA to, to punt and, and not expand sooner or before this, uh, current contract ends? Yeah, I, I I think that uh, the 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 powers that be the 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 playoff committee, not the selection committee, but the folks that were meeting. I think last summer, maybe end of June, beginning of July, when it was announced that they had kind of they released their twelve team plan, and we did an episode, kind of talking about uh, what we thought about that twelve team plan. That. I believe was really close to happening um, and also to where they were starting to do the work on, okay, so how do we, how do we implement this change before the end of the current contract? So this is what we're going to do. We all like this plan. We're all in. How can we actually bring it forward in time and not wait until 2025 or 2026? So that's, that's where we were in June or July of last year. And then I think what happened was it leaked that the SEC had recruited Texas and Oklahoma uh, over to the SEC and away from the Big 12. And uh, the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, was was involved in both of those major paradigm shifts. He's on the, the playoff committee that was working on this new plan. And he also behind, uh, you know, behind the back of the Big Twelve commissioner and those universities was recruiting and kind of uh, facilitating the the shift for for the two um, kind of flagship universities of the Big Twelve to shift over to the SEC. That really changes the power dynamic uh, nationally even more so in favor of the SEC, first of all, because it puts them at 16 teams and uh, it makes them the largest conference in terms of the, the number of uh, schools and teams. Obviously, the SEC has been uh, at, uh, has kind of set the standard for football excellence and dominance in the last decade or two. And this would just add to that. So when when that came to light, I think everybody kind of froze and said, wait a minute, what's going on here? I think everybody felt like they were being played 
uh, and they wanted to kind of slow things down. It's like, yeah, everything's this sounds good, sounds good, sounds good, except that, wait a minute, I think the SEC is is up to something, and everybody froze and said, wait a minute, now they want to go back and figure out what does it mean for our conference, what does it mean for they want to reevaluate all of those decisions that they may have been on board uh, at the beginning of the summer, they want to reevaluate now because there's clearly um, there, there's a difference in power for the SEC right now, and it's only going to widen with the addition of those two teams. So everybody wanted to reevaluate their decisions and how they act going forward. So my my case that I made um, on the We Hate Your Team podcast for expansion was really you know, in a perfect world, if we were the if we were the the czar of college football, what would we want to see and why? Um, but in terms of what's going to happen, I believe at the end of the contract, the f- college football playoff is going to expand. It's likely going to expand to the twelve team plan that has been released. But right now, everybody's double checking their work to make sure that they didn't put their conference. Uh, at a disadvantage with what they were about to agree to. And I think everybody also wants to see how the realignment um, dominoes fall because right now the group of five uh, conferences, the G5 conferences are still very much in flux uh, with the, um, you know, with some major legal battles coming this summer. The vote leaked out with the big 10, the PAC 12 and the ACC voting against expanding at this time. You know, Clint, what I think happened is I I think you were spot on. I think that, um, you know, I'd liken it to you have some insider trading, right? Um, You have this this new paradigm that's going to happen, okay? And as much as I enjoyed uh, the podcast you were on, um, you know, there, there was a guy on there who was zealously advocating that they stay at four, and I just don't think that's... I. I don't think that's right, and I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, I wouldn't support that. So, um, so where I'm at is okay. This is happening. It's either going to happen now or in 2025, and everybody's, you know, when I say everybody, the conference commissioners are playing musical chairs, trying to get an advantage before that, right? Like, and uh, you know, you mentioned the SEC. The SEC's had a lot of success. Um, it's also rumored that that some of the SEC schools maybe push the line a little bit, shall we say, right? So, um, you know, and this I think dovetails back to we're talking about NIL. We're talking about a lot of these things that were kind of in the shadows in the past are going to be surfacing over the next couple of years. So, again, people are, are have sharp elbows. They're trying to put their conferences in the best way moving forward. Um, I'm disappointed. I, cause again, I think it's going to happen. I think I, th- you know, there's a lot of reasons I think it's a positive thing. And I do think that really what we're seeing here is we're seeing the, uh, the evil empire or the sec kind of squaring off against, um, the big 10, the PAC 12 and the ACC. We're seeing kind of a split, right? And, and then, uh, you know, in addition to the evil empire, we have uh, the den of evil Notre Dame, which also gets a seat at the table, which just drives me nuts, right? So 
I think what we had to realize is for this to happen, there had to be a unanimous vote, and that was going to be really difficult to do. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that it was put off. I am disappointed. And um, it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, the devil's going to be in the details moving forward. And this is going to happen. So I think much like how we were talking about Harbaugh's contract, I think we've kind of just punted on this, that a lot of these um, maneuverings and shenanigans behind the scenes are now just going to go into the shadows until we get closer to the end of uh, to the end of the current contract. Yeah, exactly right. I, I believe that the folks that have the most power to make decisions want to know how firm the ground that they stand on is before they make really huge billion-dollar decisions for the next media cycle, which is which is what's going to drive uh, all of these decisions. So, I, I I totally I understand that. I think it's unfortunate that. Um, that what sounds like a very good plan, the 12 team format with the top four highest ranked conference champions uh, receiving a bye, and then the five through 12 seeds playing a first round playoff game on campus with the higher seed hosting checks a lot of boxes toward uh, making a very fun. Uh, expanded playoff format and even uh, Andrew Percival on that podcast that you mentioned he's kind of uh, he's one of the most vocal leaders of the what he calls the stay at four movement on on Twitter advocating for keeping the the playoff format as it is he said that when when that was announced and the details were were revealed he said well that that still sounds really good if if it is going to expand I like the way I like the plan that came out um, but he believes that four is still the best combination of, of best and deserving teams getting a chance to compete for a national title. So um, I, I still believe that that's what's going to happen. However, the number of G5 conferences and the, the relative power of those conferences is very much in flux. What will the Big 12 look like without Oklahoma and Texas? And with the teams that they've added as a result of this last cycle, um, the, the, the conference power structure is going to look very different uh, in 2025 when when this format actually switches. So I, I your analogy of saying that this got punted is, is spot on right now. Everybody's going to want to see where <laughs> how the, the chips fall in terms of power. Uh, going forward, and, and then they'll come back to the table with their new negotiating leverage position. And the SEC um, kind of got caught with their hand in the cookie jar a little bit, and I think the next three power conferences uh, in terms of the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 decided to to kind of band together as a show of force against the SEC. And that dynamic right now is not a healthy place to be in terms of making decisions for what's best for the entire sport, right? It, it, right, now, it's a, right now, it's a power struggle. And I think it's probably best to let that dynamic pass 
and, and come back together and try to figure out what's best for, for all the stakeholders in the future. And as if we didn't need any additional reasons to not like Ohio State, um, Ohio State Athletic Director, I, I still can't believe this, Gene Smith said that if Ohio State were to get a home game in a new college football playoff format, he would advocate moving the game to Indianapolis. And I, first of all, I have to wonder uh, if he's going to be part of that decision because I got to believe there's a lot of people at Ohio State who's who's not going to go along with that. Um, the next thing you have is, gosh, how much money does Indianapolis have to uh, to have this much influence over people? I, I I'm constantly shocked. Listen. I, I, you know, I went to the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis for the first time, you know, because the first time Michigan had the opportunity. It's great. It's a nice town. But there's lots of places that you can play a football game, right? I'm, I'm, and, and again, it blows me away that after years and years of whining about SEC home field advantage in the bowl games, that an athletic director from the Big Ten would say, oh yeah, let's let's move to a neutral field. I, I just it 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 boggles the mind. I just it, like I said, if there's another reason for me to dislike Ohio State, there it is. Yeah, I I, I heard this and in real time, Gene Smith was just getting slaughtered uh on social media. You know, his own fan base was upset. Uh, members of Michigan fan base and the, the rest of the Big Ten fan bases were kind of pointing and laughing. Um, and, and I heard w- one conversation I would say that I heard and I think sounds the most correct to me is that uh, that Gene Smith, with what he was said in terms of how they recruit and the, the fact that their program is built around the skill positions on offense in the passing game, um, really the, the, the complaints that you heard about why they were at a disadvantage uh, against Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor in, the, in, a, in a light snow in the cold weather in November, that he acknowledges all of that as program shortcomings, that that would be disadvantageous for them the way that they're constructed uh, to play in December in a winter kind of atmosphere because of how their team's constructed. That sounds accurate. I, I, believe, I think he's right that that's true, <laughs> that uh, they would be better off playing in, a, in an indoor-controlled environment. But I think it was a mistake to say that publicly, even if he believes it. And weighing, uh, weighing that, as, as even though I believe it's true, weighing that against... Uh, forcing your fan base to travel to Indianapolis, which they would do just fine, and they would have uh, a, a home atmosphere in Indianapolis, I'm sure, if they were to host a game in Indianapolis in some future event. Um, well, Clint, I mean, Ohio, kind of forcing Ohio that, State forcing fans, fan base seems like a mistake. Clint, Ohio State fans look for any reason to get out of Ohio. I mean, we can understand <laughs> that, right? Um, no, uh, and again, um, you know, what surprises me, and this reminds me of, you know, the David Brandon comments when he was, you know, our misguided athletic director here, when, again, I'm a season ticket holder, okay? I want 
as many home games as I can get. I want as many home games that count as I can get, okay? We have lots of home games that don't mean anything, okay? That, you know, and, and with all uh, respect to Maryland and, and um, Rutgers, you know, I, I say this, you know, um, when I started as a season ticket holder, I would run to the mailbox and get my season tickets. And if I saw Rutgers and Maryland on the home schedule, I'd be disappointed. Okay. Now I get them on a regular basis, right? Not happy about it. Right. So you're telling me, so what Brandon would do is, Hey, let's give up a home game and go play in Dallas. Okay. No, no, I'm a season ticket holder. I don't want to go to Dallas. Okay. I want home games that with meaningful opponent opponents. So for an athletic director to tell his fan base, hey, possibly one of the most important games that you're ever going to see, I'm going to move it to Indianapolis. I, I, I think that was, you know, we can get into, well, the team's built for speed. Hey, listen, you got to manage that, right? I, mm-hmm. I just, I was, mm-hmm. I really, again, that's one of the, that kind of thinking is one of the many reasons why Dave Brandon is is off somewhere counting his money and and out of our life, right? Yeah. Um, so I was just surprised that, uh, you know, by the time you get to that point, you should have a better uh, safety on what you say, right? You might want to think about it. And mm-hmm. I just can't believe that, um, you know, that's the kind of conversation maybe the head coach tells them, Right. Hey, you know, maybe, maybe this wouldn't be the best idea. <laughs> you don't tell. And again, we've both been to Columbus, rabid fan base. Hey, we don't want to have a game here. Sorry, guys. I just, I, I shake my head. And again, coming back to as much as I like Indianapolis, um, the idea, you know, go, going back to the Big Ten championship game, the idea that you can't rotate that game among locations because it's really hard putting on a football game. Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! Okay, I just, I again, I, I, uh, Indianapolis has kind of some kind of hold, and and I'm gonna say it. Listen, I, I like, again, no disrespect to the good people from Indianapolis, but even I consider Indianapolis flyover country. Okay, when you consider, you know, the Big Ten footprint of Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, even the New York area now. Um, Columbus, there are so many places you could rotate, rotate that game around, um, and, and generate a lot of interest. I'm, I'm, I'm baffled that we keep going to Indianapolis, but that's the way it is for now. Obviously I'd like to see that revisited at some point. Um, uh, again, just, you know, so again, surprise at Ohio state. Well, Clint, we've gone over a number of topics today, uh, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we end? No, I, I, I think that's that kind of sets the stage as we're going into spring football here. I, um, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, what what narratives come together and, and what the program's putting out as we get toward, uh, you know, spring practice and, and what which players kind of step forward in the leadership roles and we start talking about actual football again and not this uh this kind of high level college football layout stuff so it's a uh, it, it was a strange start to the off season i think things have kind of settled a little bit here and it, it feels 
like we can start uh, kind of ramping up and starting to think pretty hard here about what the 22 Michigan football season is going to look like. Um, and that's that's a good place to be. And uh, I think the next time we talk, we'll have some more specifics on uh, kind of how that's taking shape and, and maybe what we're going to be looking for when Michigan comes together uh, and, and puts on a spring game in April. Looking forward to seeing the team back on the field in the big house and looking forward to having fans in the stands. That's the, uh, the current plan. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.